Welcome to Behind the Curtain with Nick Troon, the show where we sit down with theatre practitioners and get a backstage look at the creative process. On today's episode, we sit down with Jesse Donaldson, a Sydney cider in the cast of an upcoming production of This Is Our Youth. We'll be talking about the experience of putting works up in a major city, the benefits of a small cast, and getting a peek into the fringe theatre scene. So without further ado, let's get on with the show and peep behind the curtain. Welcome to Behind the Curtain with Nick Troon. My name is Nick and I'm sitting down today with Jesse Donaldson. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, guys? Now, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? My name is Jesse Donaldson Jarrett. I'm an actor currently living in Sydney. If you want the full slate, I'm 170 centimeters tall. I'm based in Maribor, blah, 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 blah. Honestly, there's not really much about that. I'm a pretty basic dude at this point. Like, I, most of my life is acting and doing my day job to kind of work that. I, obviously, I studied at UNE. It's how I know Nick. And I'm just uh, trying my best to keep on keeping on, you know? Now, speaking of that, you used to be an on-campus UNE student. Yes. So what prompted the move to Sydney? So it's not like a long story, but there is a couple of jumps to it. It was a lot of accidents, to be honest. Like a lot of other people, I studied on campus at UNE, like you've just said. So I spent my three years doing shows, working on stuff. And throughout that process, I decided that I wanted to give this a go. I want to try and be an actor. And that prompted a move to Melbourne originally, because Melbourne's like where the independent theatre scene is. Like if you want to go there, you don't know people, you want to make theatre, you go to Melbourne. Unfortunately, I made that choice in 2020. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that year was in my house. Mm -hmm. I was lucky at the very start of 2020 to do a show, Mm -hmm. uh, Spring Awakening the Musical, where um, I I don't know if people know, there's a lot of singing in that show (laughs) and not a lot of people. So if you're in that show, you're doing a lot of singing. Mm. And it went well. I had a couple of people be like, it was quite good. People liked the way I sounded. So I thought, oh, let's give the singing bit a go. Mm-hmm. So I'm in lockdown, you know, there's nothing else really to do. I want to try and build a skill. So mm. I'm, I'm trying the singing things. And my grandmother puts me forward to an old friend of hers from the business when she was a singer. Uh, her name's um, Anne-Marie. Amazing. Do a session with her. She says, hey, man. There's this course in Sydney at NIDA, Diploma of Musical Theatre. It's for people who are trying to transition into study at NIDA or people who are about to enter the professional space and need to polish up some skills. And I thought, hell, maybe. Let's give it a go. I worked on my singing that year with a singing teacher and then I missed the cutoff date and thought, ah, it wasn't for me. Then a few months later, I get a text from my grandmother saying, hey, man, uh, they actually extended the cutoff date. So you should have a look at that and see what happens. And the funny thing is I was actually checking out a theater for another show I was going to be in with um, some other UNE alumnus. As I'm here, my friend's looking up the, mm. the cutoff date while I'm on the phone. I hang up the phone and she looks at me and goes, hey, that's today. <laughs> so then I go home. I use the monologue that I was uh, preparing. Mm-hmm. I sing two songs that luckily I was working on that fit the criteria. And then, uh, yeah, I, I made it through the callbacks, which was like an in-person Zoom thing. So I'm da- dancing in my lounge room, singing in my lounge room. And then, yeah, luckily I get a call from Mark Gall saying, hey, man, we have a spot for you. Would you like to come study with us at, at night? I was like, 100%. And that's what prompted my move to Sydney. So I moved there in uh, 2021, studied there for a year and decided to stay. You know, you, you build connections. There are people you kind of want to continue working with. And it's a big thing in theater is you know, building communities and, and, and kind of of like finding your way in you know because mm-hmm. a, a lot you'll find a lot of the projects you get offered or you end up doing is because someone you know needs somebody they'll, they'll hit you up or, or you're, you're, you want to make something and you'll know someone or you, you'll think of someone who you've met or who you've worked with and you kind of send them a message and that's kind of how that works mm-hmm. and so I've met people and I wanted to stay in Sydney now I've been here for almost two two years outside of NIDA trying to tr- trying to find and make work. I was going to say I suppose that you kind of moved to Sydney at the perfect time sort of like unfortunately Melbourne didn't work because it was right amidst that COVID sort of spree 
Yeah. But then the second that you moved to Sydney, it was kind of like that perfect spree out into the time that people are actually wanting to see live performance. No, exactly. It was a really nice time. We almost had it. We almost had that full year without the lockdowns. Mm. Uh, so we did. I did end up going back to Melbourne for a little bit in that year, which was interesting. But you know, all these things kind of build the stuff. It meant that we kind of worked on different kind of stuff. It was it was a good artistic experience. You know, how have you found the change between a theatre scene like Armadale in comparison to Sydney? It's it's a lot. I'll, I'll admit. One thing the Armadale theatre scene has going for it is there is a very high density. You know, there is a surprising amount of stuff happening mm. in Armadale. And I think a lot of that has to do with ADM of being so old mm-hmm. and the theater degree has existed there for such a long time so even though it's quite mm-hmm. a remote town it's still for a very long time had a rich amount of talent and enthusiasm coming through there and that's kind of built this basis for artistic mm-hmm. expression i think in my personal journey of becoming an actor and, and working on it, it was such a great thing to have these opportunities and what is a less densely packed sort of environment while there's still things mm-hmm. going on you know we're in sydney there's so much going on over such a wide scale that it's kind of hard to keep track of it a lot everyone has their own smaller communities it's, it's pretty much like you take the environment of armadale and you cut and paste it every other suburb in sydney every single theater in sydney has a production company attached to it and all those production companies Mm. have people they know and people who they like want to work with regularly all these kind of little individual environments that have these little bits of overlap and you'll find them in classes as well i Mm. think that's probably the biggest difference between sydney and armadale is because sydney is such a a large city and such a central hub for for culture particularly in new south wales there's a lot of actor training Mm -hmm. in sydney and from different kind of schools and there's lots lots of different levels of performance so you have the amateur companies you have student companies you have semi-pro companies companies like and and all of them kind of you know work in in different spheres you know now you're here to talk about your uh, upcoming production of this is our youth yeah can you tell us a little bit about the show Okay, it's it's a very difficult show to talk about, I'm not going to lie. It's one of my favorite kinds of shows. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of realism, I think. You find such beautiful truth in characters in, in, in realism, and it's mm. it's such an interesting actor's challenge to connect with someone who only has to exist on a page. But often what you find with realism, mm. particularly this play, which is a one-room-style play, so it all takes place in one character's apartment, mm-hmm. And it's not split up into scenes, it's just two acts. So you have mm. the one character starting, another character comes in, and the action of the play just starts. And it doesn't stop till the act break. Mm-hmm. And then have a 20-minute break, have a drink, come back in, the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Character starts in the scene, next character comes in, the action just goes, and the characters come in and out, and it's just, it's just non-stop. Mm. Problem with that is, with lots of things happening, it does become kind of difficult to talk about without giving away certain yeah. things. It is a Kenneth Lonergan play, so it's spectacularly written. The impetus of the play is basically you have these two young men, Dennis in his early 20s, Warren, who's about 19, 20 years old. Both been friends for a very, very long time. Dennis is the, kind of the big man of the group. He's, he sees himself as, as Warren's kind of mentor and older brother, and Warren sees him in a very similar position. And it's all set in his apartment. It's about 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. He hears a buzz on his intercom. It's Warren. Pulls him up, and through their conversation, we're like, hey, man, what's going on? He finds out that Warren has stolen uh, $15,000 of 80s money uh, from his father, Mm -hmm. who is uh, quite a dangerous guy. (laughs) And he's already spent a little bit of it. So it's them kind of being like, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to sort this out? One of the conclusions they come to due to some other contributing factors is, hey, let's buy some drugs. (laughs) Then we're going to sell those drugs, make a little bit of profit, return the money to your dad, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And of course, throughout Mm. the process of the play, it isn't. Lots of little things go wrong. Mm. Other elements happen. Another character, Jessica, is introduced to the the trio, and she has these beautiful Mm. moments with Warren because Dennis will kind of leave, and then it kind of becomes this more romance story. So it's a very human exploration of relationships between 
brothers and, and young romantics, but all set in a very contemporary setting. Mm. And it's quite a tragic comedy because of its weight in realism. You're not so lucky that everything is just going to work out, you know, because it's a play and because it's a nice story. Mm. The actions these characters take within this short period of their life uh, do have your very, very legitimate weight and consequences that they will have to deal with once the curtain closes. And it's quite a sad thing to mm. see sometimes, but it is filled with hope because, you know, it's only under those kind of circumstances that people grow. And it's part of the reason why I believe you really do love these kinds of characters when you come out of this play. You really sort of spend two and a half hours mm. getting to meet what is ostensibly real people living their lives and you're just kind of hidden behind this imaginary glass wall. So you love them for their mistakes. You hate them for their stubbornness. You find them frustrating because of the way they communicate with each other and depending on who you relate to, you know, the way they communicate with you. But you always come away from it building a real relationship with these characters and everyone has their different favourites. It's what's beautiful about this kind of art. It's kind of people relating to different characters in their own way because they can see a little bit of themselves in it because it is in the end as you said very realistic it's realism it's grounded yeah also recently i got the chance to meet up with you in sydney and we talked briefly about this sort of theater in a similar way with a different production that you did in the the, the idea of stuffing up and that the fact that some of these minor mistakes can completely reimagine the story uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? So that that is uh, a caveat to doing plays like this because they uh, are continuous mm. and they are constantly running. A common element of them is they do kind of play off of what happens before. It's very much like the show equivalent of starting a ball rolling and you just kind of have to watch it roll to the end of the floor. Mm. Luckily with this script, it's not as folded in on each other. Okay. Like we've had a few problems with runs. If, you, if we miss lines, things come up later and like, oh, did they mention that before? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not quite sure if that makes sense. So, you know, it, it can be a little bit confusing, but we haven't had any sort of issues with a line drop that has collapsed the play. <laughs> but yes, uh, I was telling you about this whilst you're in Sydney. I did do another play like this recently down in Melbourne called The Way We Get By by Neil Debut, mm. another one of my favorite writers. And in a very similar sense, it is a single room with characters as they do their thing. But in terms of that theming, it's a much more focused and intensified version of that, I believe. Because it is a bit shorter. The show is about an mm. hour and a half instead of two and a half hours but with no intermission so it's about 30 40 minutes shorter yep. except you only have two people and there's no breaks so mm. that show was one person starts in the scene another person comes in and engages in that conversation engage in the impetus for drama and then they just kind of explore these themes together and they do not stop and no one leaves the stage for any significant amount of time <laughs> yeah so there was there was a particular situation on our closing night for that show where both myself and my scene partner had dropped a few lines at the very start of the the play and this isn't like oh it's happened oh we forgot to mention something and it immediately like oh we'll just fix it it's fine the beauty of labute's writing that shine through in the way we get by is the interwoven connections in the script and the way things happen at the start and the, the ideas they bring forward that are then revisited later on as they are continuing to explore these these concepts with each other and it was two particular lines very very small wasn't even a bit we only we might have skipped like one or two lines and in one case maybe a page which is mm. relatively substantial but you, in the big scheme of things it doesn't feel that like a big of a deal and all we missed out on saying was one person asking whether or not they were watching the TV and then another person not asking whether or not that person owned one of the items in the room. And the TV was just kind of skipped over really quickly and not asking whether or not that person had ownership of one of these items kind of made us skip over like a, a very short chunk of conversation. But the effects of these misses were not felt until the end of the play <laughs> where by not asking whether or not that person owned a thing that never gave the other person an opportunity to say, actually, no, I don't own that. 
nor do I own anything in this room. It's all owned by my roommate. And so there was a moment near the end of the play where we're going, oh, one of the things the character does is write Kim, the roommate's name, on the wall, and then they mark everything in the room with the name Kim, meant to signify this whole thing of, okay, look, she owns everything. She likes being tidy and clean. We'll, we'll mark everything for her and then we'll piss off. Hmm. But in this run of the play, the world changed because we hadn't had that conversation before. So there is this element where, yes, it exists in the script, so it is kind of real, but if you haven't mentioned this to the audience, it no longer really exists anymore. Hmm. So the character changes. Kim no longer becomes this person who owns everything and is therefore feels entitled to it and has a sense of twisted ownership. It's more, we don't know whether or not she owns it, but she acts like this anyway. So it intensifies this negative element of her character Hmm. where she acts entitled and pretends like everything is hers and she has ownership of it because her parents own the apartment. But there's no implication that she actually has legitimate ownership over the item. So it intensifies the complicated relationship that Beth and Kim had in this apartment, which I found very, very interesting at the end. Um, the other line drop was a little more substantial, which I think is hilarious because we skipped a page and then all it was was like we changed one line later on and a bit of an intention and we were fine. Mm. We skipped one line and it changed an entire scene. Beth doesn't ask Doug whether or not he's turned on the television right at the start mm-hmm. of the play, which affected us poorly because later on in the play, there is a moment where they're talking about the truth. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the theme in this play is that they're both in love with each other. And it's very complicated for all these different reasons that I will not go into. Mm. Because you should read the play. Mm. Or go see go. it if you have an opportunity to. It's beautiful. But yes, they're talking about the truth. Mm. And and she's saying, yes, it's fine. You know, just 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 tell me. I can handle it. And he's sitting there going, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to express it. I don't know how to express how I'm feeling. Like, it's okay. It's fine. Just tell me the truth. He's like, you know what? You're right. I will. Okay. Truth is, I did turn on the TV earlier. <laughs> And that springs them into a whole other layer of conversation. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, because like you said, I should be truthful. And I did lie about that. And I didn't want to get in trouble. And as we're leading up to this, I'm sitting there going, we never mentioned the TV. I can't say I lied about the TV because I didn't lie about the TV. It never happened. Damn. Oh, no. What do we do? What do we do? No. Because that's the thing. When like, The beauty of live theater is whatever you put forward is what exists. Mm. So at that point, the lie didn't exist. So there was nothing to talk about. So what ended up happening is we ended up having to improvise with each other and create new reasons as to why this happened so i think instead i said something like look i have to be honest with you i've been freaking out this whole time because i turned the tv on earlier and it was really loud and then i, I turned it off and then immediately you came out i was i've been worrying that i woke you up this whole time and i've been feeling really weird about it and then i didn't say anything and we've been talking the past hour and now i don't know like i didn't want to get in trouble and now i feel like i'm lying and she's like oh you like it is kind of a lie i'm like yeah maybe like a lie of omission but that's not really my point like i'm just and then we sort of created this whole new scene on the floor to just find our way through it you know Mm. and what was beautiful about it was it created such a sense of real investment Mm. and that was a lesson that came from uh filming self-tapes for for screen Mm. where a very very important lesson is when you drop a line if you fob a line if you if you stumble over something you never pull away from you never drop it you Mm -hmm. never drop out you always you always stay in because what happens is all of a sudden when you're lost you have to find a way out And that creates such a commitment to the moment that sometimes when you make a mistake, it creates the most beautiful work possible. Mm. And that's not, you shouldn't intentionally make mistakes. That's just, you're better than that. (laughs) (laughs) But what I find funny is that I believe that's what's happened at that night. I I Mm. truly believe that that was our best performance of that show, or one of them anyway. Mm. Because the commitment and the realism, the reality of the situation of us discovering this stuff together as we made it up and brought it into reality 
was beautiful and it, it just carried us to the, to the end and we had this commitment to what was going on we, it really felt good and you know whilst it was at the moment incredibly stressful and there was quite a heavy sigh of relief when we actually made it to the end of the show it was at the end of the day beautiful work I think that's where a lot of good discoveries can be found is when you're working on something and when, when something goes wrong with Ernest, mm -hmm. it's not a mistake. It's just what happened that day in the show, you know? Mm. Coming back to This Is Our Youth, this show is pretty small with only a cast of three. Yes. What has that experience been like for you? Look, it's nice. I personally really like working with smaller casts. Mm. I like that as an actor because you get this opportunity to build such an intimate relationship with your scene partners. Mm -hmm. And I also like that as a director because, you know, you have so much more time to delve into the intricacies of characters and the intricacies of people when the script has time to dedicate, mm. uh, dedicate it to characters. Because I think that's the major difference, you know, between a large ensemble and uh, a piece like this. You know, full-length plays very often go for two hours, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And at that fixed length, the more characters you have, the less chunk of time each character has to be explored. Mm. And sometimes this can create some of the best roles and some of the best performances anyone's ever seen, you know, where some, a character comes in for one, two scenes and just has this beautiful presence on stage and then, you know, goes away, never to be seen again. Mm. But in situations like this, realism works so well because you are given so much time to spend with these people. Mm. I'm sure for lots of people, it, it does get quite rough because you do end up spending quite a lot of time with a very small amount of people exploring what it can be very intense things. Mm. But we found in the production talks, it's the best work to be done as an independent creator because the scale can be so much smaller. And with pieces like this, you don't require a big stage. You don't require massive sets. The importance comes from the interaction between the characters. Now, this show was scheduled for earlier in the year in a different venue. Yes. What has it been like adapting this show to a new space? It has been both a blessing and an incredibly stressful ordeal. Mm -hmm. We have had a relatively tumultuous production cycle for this show. If we count the postponing of it as different runs, the third time we tried to do the show this year, mm -hmm. we did try to actually bring it up to Armadale in the beginning of the year, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, or honestly, very fortunately, one of our three cast members was given the opportunity to play an extra in Don Quixote and the, hey. with the Sydney Ballet. And that's just one of the things when you're trying to work and you're trying to make mm. a career is, you know, whilst I would have loved to tell him, hey, man, yeah, no, like our little independent production is going to be way better <laughs> for your career. It was like, no, dude, go work with the Australian Ballet. Go sell fruit in the background whilst dancers just do these crazy things. Having that in your CV is going to be way better mm. for you. And then we you know, obviously tried to put it on a, mm -hmm. at a hall with our agency as a proof of concept. And unfortunately, for a few different reasons, that did fall through. Yeah. So now we're here. And it just means that you're kind of having to push things back. Nothing's ever in this finished mm -hmm. state. So it's very middling and particularly with this period, you know, we had a quick turnover from me finishing my show in Melbourne, coming back to then mm -hmm. do the show uh, in our, at our original venue mm -hmm. with our original date. Then, you know, you think, okay, you know, it gets pushed back by a month. It's so much more time to work on things, right? And mm -hmm. it doesn't end up really working out that way because a lot of time is actually spent, you know, trying to find the new venue, trying to sort out what's going to happen, waiting for the confirmation so you can tell people it's still going on ahead. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things like you got to change staging, you got to rework blocking, you got to kind of rework ideas is because we don't have backstages in the same way and all of a sudden you realize oh we didn't actually have really much extra time and it's just sort of jumped up on us again but i remember something that one of my lecturers said at uni actually when we we're doing writing yeah. and stuff it was richard that challenges and restrictions breeds creativity and we take these challenges and overcome them to create great art i, I think that's hopefully what we're doing but i will be very happy uh, when we have had our successful two nights of this show and we can just kind of put it to bed for a month <laughs> To say the least. Actually, speaking of two shows, this show has an extremely quick production week process. Yes. Can you talk us through that? 
so it's just another caveat of trying to produce things independently. A lesson that I am trying to learn and both my yep. co-producer and I are trying to learn is, you know, applying for things like grants and um, and funding and such. During this learning period of, of production, mm-hmm. you know, we have been mostly self-funding it. So in those situations where you don't have a lot of money to play with, that's when these production weeks end up being very, very quick. When mm-hmm. we were talking with our venue, we did have the option to have a tech day and a dress day, but that would have cost us an extra $300 uh, because our yeah. venue is very, very kind and was charging us by the day. So if we just had the two days for the shows uh, and we just bumped in and did the tech the day of, no extra cost. Because that, that's another thing when producing work, particularly as an independent, you know, when you're also working as an actor as well, you really want to try your best to have as much of a profit margin as possible, mm-hmm. purely so you can give a piece of it to the people involved in the project. Mm. Because it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it makes life a lot easier trying to make art and stuff when a little bit of that weight can be lifted post a show and just you know maybe it's a week of rent if you're lucky mm-hmm. or two weeks of groceries but the smallest things help and that's kind of where we were going with like let's try and get the cost as small as possible so we can make a little bit of money and and, and give it to our friends mm. that's really the reason why it's so quick <laughs> which as you said there's only a few people involved in this process right yeah four yeah. so it's uh, myself and my production partner, Kieran Gregory, mm-hmm. who are both playing uh, Dennis and Warren, respectively. We have mm-hmm. uh, our very talented friend, Bella Sattler, coming on as Jessica. And then we're very, very lucky to have the multi-talented Noah Rayner come on as our director, as our sound designer, as our composer, as our lighting tech, <laughs> as our props manager. It's ba- he's, he's astounding. Like, he's just come on. We asked him to be a director. He's like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll work the lights. I'll work the sound. We had to come up with some free music. So he was like, I'll put it together and run it all. It's just, it's just crazy. He's brilliant. And look, as you said, in a production like this, where you're trying to minimize it as much as possible, it's just what needs to be done. Yeah. So in such a competitive drama scene as Sydney, how have you found the marketing process for this show? Interesting. So we've tried our best to be active on social media. We've mm-hmm. made a Facebook page. We um, launched Instagram, mm-hmm. brought on another friend of ours to manage that for us and make sure we're kind of getting stuff out there. But it's very similar to what you'd find in Armadale uh, mm-hmm. and what you find in the cities and at, at the fringe level mm-hmm. is it's a lot of, you know, having that community around of, of friends, of family, of people mm-hmm. that want to support you. So they are more comfortable spending $35 on a ticket to come see you. And we kind of together try and drag the whole group mm. over that line of profit being like okay now we've made the money back now we can start doing it uh, <laughs> but a big thing if you don't have the coin and if you're working in situations like in retail or where people are coming through is just talking about it with people mm. trying to get the word out there as mm. much as possible marketing things are very similar to being an actor you know you have to be in different groups you have to be social if you want to find work you want to be kind of in as many different little circles particularly art circles as physically possible because you know mm-hmm. knowing a few people in this environment might pull in three or four people to come see a ticket stretching out your social web as far as possible so that people are easily seeing your stuff and then like both myself Mm -hmm. and kieran we all the time every opportunity we get it's probably infuriating we talk to people at the store that we work out about it saying um yeah we're actually actors you know if we Mm -hmm. if we can get a good laugh out of someone and they go you guys are crazy with the call actually we're actors fun fact (laughs) we're doing a show next week would you like to come see it it's here it's only 35 dollars so thank you here's your pan hope to see you next week (laughs) because really that's the only way to do it and that fringe trap is very scary you're trying your best to create work and make sure that you're not creating at a deficit and trying to make sure that people are trying to get something from Mm -hmm. it you know and at the same time you don't want to be performing to the same people every single time you know you don't want to be like oh yeah we just kind of go in a group and see each other's work mm. so it really if you can get 10 mm. people who don't know you to come see your show that is a big win because it's 
10 people that will leave that show knowing who you are now because you make good work. And hopefully if you get two people out of a whole show that want to see you again, that's a win. That's amazing. It's, it's very, very wanky to say, but you're trying your best to build yourself as a mm. brand based on merit where it's like, look, I make good stuff. You liked me last time. Mm. Come see my next thing. But yeah, it's a lot of social media, a lot of talking in person. Social media and word of mouth, that's what it is. And look, it's a little wanky, but unfortunately, that's that's just the way it is with theatre. Yeah, it is. It really is. Before we close, speaking of giving that promo, do you want to give a promo for the show? All right. So if you're listening and you're in Sydney, we are performing Friday night. That's tomorrow at the Meraki Arts Bar on Oxford Street. If you walk up there from Town Hall Station or something like that from the city, it's just parked Burke Street where all the rainbows are. Third floor next to the speakeasy come grab a ticket we sell tickets at the door we'd love to see you if you really like the show come grab a drink with us afterwards we always love talking about art and if you can't come if you're listening in armadale we might be bringing work up there so keep an eye out hey hey listen out yeah beautiful well thank you for sitting down and uh talking with me thank you for having me man You've been listening to Behind the Curtain with Nick Troon on 106.9 Tune FM. To view our latest episodes and Tune FM's other programs, search Tune FM on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also visit our page at tunefm.net. Finally, make sure you're following Tune FM on Facebook and Instagram to hear the latest on new episodes. That's it for today's show. My name's been Nick, and I'll see you next time. Bye.